Thank you, Brian, for that wonderful prayer. Thank you for on behalf of all of us. Good morning, village. Oh, that's pretty good response for losing an hour. Uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I am, before I read the scripture, I want to just have a personal word of thanks and appreciation for allowing me to be back here in a place that I love dearly, the village. This place has a lot of memories for me, and uh, I'm especially happy. Dee and I have been looking forward to this for a while. My wife is with me, Dee, and Kathy, I want to welcome you as well. Kathy Leitner is my good friend who has come out this morning to, to be with us as well. And I am just delighted to share uh, this second Sunday of Lent with you. And I would have gotten here with the children's sermon, but I wasn't sure I could get back up. So, <laughs> so that's why I didn't, I didn't step down here. But anyway, it is a delight to be here with you today. Let me read the scripture for you today. It's taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, and it comes from the fifth chapter, verses six through eight. And this is what you'll find there. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward, for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. The consecrated cross I'll bear till death shall set me free and then go home my crown to wear for there's a crown for me. Amen. It's hard to believe, but it was in 1990, 30 years ago, that a man by the name of Tim Berners-Lee introduced the World Wide Web to the general public, better known today as the Internet. 30 years this year. And without a doubt, it has changed the way that we live. Anything you want to know about any subject is just a few clicks away on your computer and keyboard. And needless to say, we have become so dependent upon it that it's even hard to imagine what life would be like, what our society would be like without it. But... There are some here today who know that before the internet, there was a time that the only way that you could get information on any given subject and the only place to get it was the library. The library. Now, some of you may not remember that word library, but it was where books were kept on the shelf. 
and, and, and all they were all organized in a neatly arranged place for you to find information on any subject. As a matter of fact, a man by the name of Melville Dewey went through a lot of pain <laughs> to invent the Dewey Decimal System, which anybody under 25 had never heard of. <laughs> never heard of. And it's basically obsolete. Rest in peace, Mr. Dewey. But this morning, I want to share with you a, a brief message for this second Sunday in Lent that I got from, of all places, the library. The library. And I'll start out like this. By the time I got the third overdue notice, <laughs> you know where I'm going with it. By the time I got the third overdue notice from the Houston Public Library System, I knew I was in trouble. You see, uh, some six weeks earlier, I had checked out uh, several books, eight books as a matter of fact, for a presentation at the church where I was pastoring there in, in the early 90s. And, and this wonderful woman by the name of Naomi Shaw invited me to, to give a lecture, uh, Pastor Elaine, on the role that the Methodist Church played in the early education of America. You know, one of those subjects you just sit on the side of your bed in the morning and you're thinking to yourself, why hasn't someone called me to do a lecture on the role that the Methodist Church played in the, oh, you get it. She called and said, we'd like for you to come and lecture on, on the role that the church, you know, there were, there were a lot of uh, colleges and universities that the Methodist Church formed, and, and we want you to talk about that. And so I said, I can give you a 15-minute little lecture on that. And she said, no, no, we want an hour lecture. And we want questions and answers afterwards. I said, an hour? And then under my breath, I said, you all don't even want to be in church an hour. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, I gave in and I made my way to the library. This was in the early 90s because the internet hadn't filtered down to people like me. So I went to the library and I found these eight large volumes that had a lot of information about the role that the Methodist Church, yeah. and anyway, I checked them out. And I did my research, and that Saturday morning, I showed up for the lecture. We had a wonderful meeting, and when it was over with, I took those eight books, and I put them in the trunk of my car, and I said, I'll take them back soon. I'll take them back. Why do we put off things that we could do today for another time? Well, anyway, Two weeks turned into four, and four weeks turned into six, and then the late notices start arriving. Now, I have a confession. We're in Lent. I've got a confession to make. I would have returned the books a lot earlier, a lot sooner, had I not been under the mistaken impression that it was still two cents a day for overdue books. See, some of these people are laughing because they remember a time when it was two cents a day for overdue books. And they didn't even count weekends back in that time. 
So I'm under the mistake. I'm set two cents a day. I'll take them back. And then one day, my son Ryan opened up my trunk and said, Dad, those books have been back there a long time. When are you going to take them back? And I said, son, I'll take them back pretty soon. After all, it's only two cents a day. I can afford that. And that's when he informed me that the times have changed since I was in that one-room schoolhouse. He, he said, son, dad, do you know that overdue books now cost 50 cents a day and sometimes a dollar a day a piece? I said, you must be kidding me. He said, no. It's changed. So I, I began to panic, and I immediately started trying to figure out how much it was going to cost me when I returned these books. Let's see, 50 cents, no, a dollar a day, eight books, eight weeks. I must have been absent from school that day we went over that in math, but I knew it was a lot of money. And so early the next morning, early before the library even opened, I was there with my eight books in hand. And when the lady opened the door to the library to let me in, I must have had that long overdue look on my face because she said overdue books that way. <laughs> so I waddled on down to the next counter where the overdue books were turned in and, and this this, this woman who came out, she had this mean-looking, sour face. She came out to help me, and in a rough voice, she said, may I help you? Just very rough. She, she looked like my fourth-grade teacher, Mrs. Wells. You see, at that time, we believed Mrs. Wells was a distant relative to Attila the Hun. <laughs> Mrs. Wells was the only person we knew who could walk into an empty room and start a fight. <laughs> you ought to get that on the way home. But anyway, I digress. I'm sorry. I digress. I told her, I said, I'm here to return these books. And she took the first book and turned to the back cover, you know, and she pulled the card out. And she saw the date, and she kind of went into shock. And then she, the second book, and it had the same date, the third. And then she gave me this, I'm going to have some fun with you look. She pulled up a, a stool. Then she pulled over her calendar. And to add insult to injury, she pulled out a calculator. And she started punching buttons on her calculator. And I'm sitting there dying. You know, it, it's a bad feeling when somebody has your life in the palm of their sweaty little hands and they're punching a calculator to tell you how much you owe. It's like when you go get an audit and you're sitting there at the IRS desk and they're about to tell you how much you're going to pay. Or when you go pick up your car from the shop and you don't know if it's going to be $100 or $1,000. That's the feeling I had. So I'm sitting there dying. And as she was calculating days and fines, I, I knew I had to do something. I, I figured and I decided that when she hit the total key, I was just going to get down on one knee and said, 
please have mercy. I'm just a preacher working for Jesus. Please have mercy on me. And so finally, she hit the total key. And when she did, the paper came up out of the, the little slot there and, and she tore the paper off and, and made some calculations and, and, and I closed my eyes expecting the worst. And, and, and then she said roughly, no charge. I said, I beg your pardon? She said, no charge. Well, I didn't want her to think that I was insane or rich, but you see, by that time, I had worked myself up to a mild breakdown, and, and I was determined to have it before I left. And so I said to her, what do you mean, no charge? And she said, sir, of all the days that you brought in these library books, you brought them in during our amnesty period. I said, amnesty period? What is that? She said, it's the one time of the year when the Houston Public Library System forgives all overdue fines just so they could get the books back. You brought your books back during the amnesty period, so there's no charge. And I said, Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. And, and then I, I turned to walk away, and every few feet I would turn back to make sure she wasn't following me or that she hadn't changed her mind. And when I got outside that library, I just stood on the step. I said, yes, yes, there is a God in heaven. Yes, yes, we shall overcome. Yes, yes. Oh, I was ecstatic. And I got in my car and I started driving home and I thought about that encounter with that librarian and, and I said to myself, amnesty, what a beautiful word. So I went home and I looked it up and it said a general pardon for an offense that has been committed. A general pardon. And then I said, not only is that a beautiful word for someone with overdue library books, but it's a beautiful word for Christians who have strayed away from God. And then my mind went back to the ultimate act of amnesty that happened long ago on a hill called Calvary or Golgotha, if you will. It was there that a good man died an awful death. His name was Jesus. And the reason that he gave himself and his life for us was to redeem us and to show God's love and God's plan for us and for eternal life. He didn't have to die the way that he did, but he did. He didn't have to give his life for yours or mine. But he did. And just like that exchange between me and that librarian, whenever we get to this season of Lent, I always ask myself, how much do I owe you, Jesus, for what you did for me and what you did for us on Calvary? And each time the answer comes back, no charge, no charge. 
And in my mind, I, 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 I say nowhere in the, in the scriptures do you read that Jesus charged us for what he did. As a matter of fact, in this passage from Romans 5, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the city of Strasburg, Pennsylvania, there is a Civil War cemetery there. And in this Civil War cemetery, there is the grave of a soldier who died during that period, that dark chapter in our nation's history. On the headstone of that soldier's grave is his name, the regiment that he was a part of, and the date that he was killed. And then there are three very strange words on his marker. It says, Abraham Lincoln's substitute. Why would Abraham Lincoln's name be on this soldier's tombstone? But if you were to ask the, the, the forest ranger or the park ranger, why is Abraham Lincoln's name on that tombstone? You would find out that it was Lincoln's attempt to honor all the brave soldiers who died during the Civil War. And so he had one soldier selected at random by the Secretary of War to symbolize, to stand for all the thousands of soldiers who died for Lincoln and for the nation. And so on that marker, it has Abraham Lincoln's substitute. Oh, my dear friends, when I gaze upon that cross, when I look upon that tree, I know that my name should be up there. I know that your names should be up there. But instead, there is the name of the one who died in our place, who bore our sins upon that tree, and he becomes our substitute, reminding us that our lives have already been bought and paid for. And if we believe, as John's gospel says, whosoever believes shall have eternal life. There is no charge for what he did. Oh, there's this wonderful story of a traveler who was in Australia, who was headed out west to the outback of Australia. And these were in the, this was in the days of trains going out to the outback. And he found himself on this train, and what he did not know was the train went only as far as a little town called Calvary. True story, Calvary was the switching station. And everybody had to switch trains when they got to this little town. And so... He was confused and he went to the conductor and he said, sir, I'm going beyond this next little town. What do I do? And the conductor looked at him and knowing that he had heard this same question many times before, he said to the traveler, sir, everybody gets off at Calvary. Everybody gets off at Calvary. And indeed, 
everybody does. For it was on Calvary that the greatest act of human sacrifice was made on our behalf. And when I try to sum up in words what actually happened and what took place there, the closest that I can come to it is one of my favorite hymns. You, you, you can tell by now I'm into hymns. And, and, and one of the hymns that I love that sums up what happens is a hymn called, Old Sacred Head, Now Wounded. There's a verse in that song that says, what language, what language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. Oh, make me thine forever, and should my fainting be, Lord, may I never, no, never outlive my love for thee. And this is my message to you this morning, village. From the experience of that library, I've discovered that most of us, if not all of us, have long overdue sins that we have carried with us far too long. There are some here this very morning that are delinquent in the promises that you've made to God that you haven't kept. We have an outstanding balance when it, when it comes to acknowledging our faults and failures and our weaknesses. And some of us have even unsettled accounts in that we are angry with God for something that that may have happened long ago that we've never forgiven God about, or we're angry with ourselves over decisions that we made that we haven't let go of. But whatever the reason for you putting your life on hold, there's good news this morning. Good news. Because Lent, this 40 days of Lent, is God's amnesty period. These 40 days become our chance to turn in our fears, to turn in our regrets and our doubts and our sorrows and our troubles and bring them to the very foot of the cross. Because everybody gets off at Calvary. And the beauty of it all is there is no charge to do that. No charge. It's amnesty. And beginning this Ash Wednesday a few days ago, these days of self-examination and prayer and repentance, God is asking us to turn all that stuff that we have inside of us that prevents us from having a meaningful and happy life that he intended for us. And once you do, I can tell you, you'll feel much better about your life and your relationship with God. So, for Christ's sake, don't let this Lenten season pass like all the others with nothing having changed. Draw near to God, and I guarantee that God will draw near to you. And for those of you who are feeling all good about the fact that there is no charge for what Jesus did. We, we feel good about the fact that, oh, yes, we, we got this for free. 
I want to remind you of, of a word I want you to look up when you get home. The word appears in Matthew's gospel, the 20th chapter and the 28th verse. The word says, the word is ransom. And the line says, he gave his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Let me give you a little hint of what that word means. One of the definitions is in exchange for something. In exchange for something. Now it's well, well documented that there is no charge for what Jesus did for us. But I am sure that God is open to some sort of exchange, some sort of deal that you can make with him. And the deal is this, what do you think that God wants in return for what Jesus did for you? Do you think God wants what you have? No, God gave you that anyway. Do you think that God wants anything else that you may have? No, I'll tell you what God wants. God wants me. He wants you and you in exchange for what he did for us. It's a simple deal. I'm not charging you, but as a ransom, in exchange for what he did, won't you give yourself to him? At last, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die, Oh, that word, the words of that song are, are so important. Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? But drops of blood can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now, now I am happy all the day. No charge. God's amnesty is open to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.